From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Welcome, folks, to this edition of the Market Signals podcast. My name is Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer uh, at LPL. Joining me today is our fixed income strategist, um, Lawrence Gillum. We're going to talk a little bit about credit conditions uh, today. Talk a little bit about, you know, Fed speak or Federal Reserve policy. Surprise, surprise. So, Lawrence, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Mark. Looking forward to the Thanksgiving Day holiday to relax and and watch football with my friends and family. Yeah, you know, and and I think we'll all be watching football on Thursday and and Friday. If you're not, um, you maybe you've got you know your you a plate full of turkey in front of you or, or both. Um, so just today's today, by the way, as we're recording this is um Tuesday, November twenty second. So this edition. It is being recorded on Tuesday, November 22nd. As we do typically with this uh, program, let's start off with just kind of a little bit of a review of where where we've been. Um, uh, some of the logs have been taken off the fire a little bit in, in U.S. you know equity markets, so not quite as robust as they, as they were you know a, a couple few weeks. Um, ago, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. Perhaps a little bit of the, you know, additional Fed Federal Reserve speculation, some expectations kind of growing that, you know, re- recession risks, however modest we believe, may be uh, on on the horizon. That same can be seen for the commodity space. You know, again, you know, uh, not as robust in the commodity markets, although commodity markets in general have been. Uh, rather lackluster here in, in in recent months, but you know some of the recession discussion um, and Fed talk from some key me- uh, Fed members uh, also driving that commodity space as well. So on the uh, turning to you, Lawrence, on the on the bond side, since that's your um, your area of expertise, your wheelhouse, uh, what's been driving the bond market over the last week or so? Yep, over the last week and, and and actually the last month, it's been a good month for for fixed income. As we've seen longer end uh, treasury yields lower, uh, some of that may be because of the expectation of a of a, a slowing economy. Uh, some of it is maybe due to the fact that peak inflation may be behind us. But it's been a good month, good week for fixed income. Finally, after the rough start to the year that we've had this year. Uh, you know, the, the more interest rate sensitive parts of the fixed income markets, investment grade corporates, emerging market debt, they've all rebounded pretty nicely over the past week and month. Yeah, a little a little sigh of relief for our fixed income strategists, I would guess. But um, it, yeah, it's good. It's good to see some some rationalization in in um, in, in fixed income certainly been um, welcome indeed, given the year that we've had. So let's go back to last week's you know key drivers. Retail sales actually were better than expected in, in in October, which is is good news perhaps for the consumer as we head into the holiday selling season starting Friday. I think officially um, weaker than um, anticipated industrial production capacity utilization. The Philly Fed business outlook, U.S. leading index showing a slowing business activity. So that speaks to. Um, the ongoing progression toward what we believe uh, at LPL Research is going to be some some chance for uh, a modest recession in the early part of 2023. So some of the business um, data that we're getting seem to point to that 
in that direction. I'm, I'm going to touch on some activities out of um, China and then turn it over to you, Lawrence, on on the Bullard and Mester commentary. Um, so, so there was a relatively constructive meeting, as we understand it, between uh, Xi Jinping and and uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, talking about the U.S.-China relationship, that's added a little bit of a tailwind uh, to Chinese equities, you know, last week. Um, and also, as it's been discussed um, by us and by other um, market participants and certainly by policymakers, uh, China is kind of stepping toward an economic reopening post-COVID, maybe more on a sustainable basis, reducing some uh, restrict COVID restrictions that they've enforced across China for you know a couple of years now. Um, that's leading or has led into some semblance of a a modest rebound in China equities and modest rebound in EM. We don't know that that continues with any sustainable uh, any sustainability. So something to kind of keep an eye on. We're still um, overweight the U.S. relative to the rest of the world in equities. Um, so I don't know that this, you know, China balance and EM balance is going to, um, you know, kind of find itself, find its way into a, an overarching trend. At least that's the way we think about it. So interesting activity, but I don't know that it's going to last for a, a terribly long time. Um, what's turning to you on, on the, you know, which, what is, which is very interesting for us is really obviously the, uh, uh, the Fed speak that we're getting um, from members uh, and some of the tumult that may have been caused by that, you know, in in recent days. What's your take on that? Yep. So last week was a busy week for Fed speak. Fourteen uh, Fed speaking events last week. So Fed officials continue to deliberate monetary policy in public, uh, but really the one that maybe outdid the rest was Jim Bullard um, mentioning that maybe the Fed funds rate has to get between five to seven percent. Seven percent was a new number that we've not heard before. So that certainly took risk assets down, took uh, treasury yields higher, particularly on the front end of yield curves. Uh, but Jim Bullard is a, is a noted hawk. So he is one of the more aggressive uh, members of that FOMC, the, the Fed officials. Uh, by the way, he's speaking today, so we'll have to see what kind of comments he makes today. But uh, there was a lot of Fed speak last week, and there will continue to be a lot of Fed speak running up into that December meeting. We got some uh, meeting minutes this week, uh, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But busy week for Fed speak last week, which pressured a lot of those risk assets. We think. Yeah, um, yeah, they they kind of you know are engaging in um, in certainly rate policy, but also. Uh, jawboning as well, which they're that that's part of what uh, part of their job. Looking ahead this week to economic data, it's it's going to be a relatively um, light week in economic data, if you can say. Although some important uh, events, obviously on Wednesday, the FOMC minutes, and we'll discuss those in a second. Uh, PMI numbers coming out of. Um, the U.S. both on a manufacturing services or and also a composite level, um, turning into international um, economic data. Uh, you know, again, a fairly light week, although uh, PMI manufacturing services and composite uh, numbers out of the eurozone, uh, some German, uh, you know, business climate, consumer confidence, their business confidence numbers out of out of Germany. Uh, and then also a, a Friday's GDP reading, you know, out of Germany as well. So some some items to kind of keep an eye on 
this week from an economic calendar perspective. Um, you know, this obviously with the trading and the in the Thanksgiving holiday, the trading being uh, shortened this week um, on Friday, uh, and and obviously markets being closed on Thursday. Um, probably not a whole lot of activity. Um, some interesting things to kind of keep an eye on, as we mentioned. Eurozone and U.S. manufacturing and services activity. There's been some discussion, speculation is probably the proper word, on OPEC plus production, what, what OPEC plus may in fact do with uh, production. And we have those ongoing conversations around uh, China COVID policy and the outlook that China is perhaps changing there in terms of the way they're going about restricting their, their population in and around you know, COVID. So that's been beneficial not only for China, but for the world. We'll see what the end policy looks like. Those conversations are ongoing. And then Lawrence, um, again to you, uh, which is the, probably the key item this week in terms of the economic calendar is the FOMC minutes at 2, uh, 2 p.m. on Wednesday. Um, what is your expectation in terms of that outcome? Yep, so these are the, the meeting minutes from the November meeting that was three weeks ago. Uh, and since then, we've, like I said, we've had a lot of Fed speakers out there discussing monetary policy. So, frankly, I'll be surprised if there's any surprises in this release, but you never know. Uh, there, there could be some nuggets that the, the media takes away and and uh, and and looks more closely at. But generally speaking, we do expect the Fed uh, minute meetings to to suggest that yes, there's still work, more work that needs to be done to tame these inflationary pressures. But maybe they can, whether it's called a pivot or a pause or a transition, maybe they can slow the, the the pace of rate hikes. Over the past four meetings, as we know, there's been uh, you know four 75 basis point rate hikes. That's pretty unprecedented. Since the 1990s, there's only been five total, and four of them happened over the last four meetings. So we do think that you know that the Fed is in that camp where maybe they can raise rates by 50 basis points in December and then slow down to 25 basis points thereafter. But, uh, you know, whether they're pivoting or pausing or, or transitioning, we do expect those minute meetings to suggest that, you know, they've done a lot of work, but there's still more work to do, but maybe they can take a slower pace of, of rate hikes. Yeah. I mean, market participants will certainly be gauging that balance between hawkish and dovish commentary and, and um, any, any comment that would indicate, you know, a pivot or a pause or, or or deceleration in rate increases, which we are expecting, by the way, um, will likely be somewhat helpful um, for risky asset prices. Um, once again, it's 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 going to be your show here on on credit conditions because you know I I think what's interesting and I you know you tell me if you agree I think you do. Um, is that you know credit conditions are actually looking pretty good. Um, that would uh, lead us to recommend for um, investors that you know the bond market is actually a, a, a good place to be now, uh, especially at you know it rates at, at highs that we've seen, and there are some income producing opportunities in in the bond market. The first question we get is, okay, what about about credit conditions, what you know, how what what are the balance sheets of of U.S. corporations looking like, especially as we head into a recession, um, and 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 that's what we're here to talk about, Lawrence. So um, so you guide me through some of these slides and tell me as you walk through the credit conditions, 
tell me what are some of the high points on each one of these and what and what the overall message is. Yep, for sure. So getting towards the end of third quarter earnings season. So we have uh, gotten some updated balance sheet uh, income statement type data. So what we're showing here is just how profitable these investment grade uh, rated companies are, how profitable these high yield rated companies are. And we can look on, on the screen here and, and metrics are still pretty elevated and, and pretty healthy in terms of profitability. Revenues are still pretty elevated. Operating income is still pretty elevated. And these are important metrics, we think, to that gauge the, the the ability of these issuers to pay down debt if, if need be. So there's still a, a lot of revenue coming into the, the, the uh, corporate issuers in aggregate. You know, there are going to be some some winners, some losers, but in aggregate, you know, these profit, profit uh, profitability metrics look pretty healthy. If yep. we want to go to the next slide, uh, I think importantly is that cash balances still remain pretty healthy as well and, and pretty elevated. So Again, looking at these investment grade companies and these high yield companies, cash balances, yes, they've come down a little bit, but they were at record highs previously and still uh, above averages in terms of, of cash balances. You know, we've, we've talked about in other app, uh, other venues about how these corporate CFOs were very diligent in, in fortifying balance sheets by issuing debt and, and terming out their debt, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, but the, the cash balances that we that we see on these uh, corporate balance sheets provide a lot of flexibility and a lot of, of, of financial strength in the event of of, a, of an economic slowdown. Now, what we're looking at here is you know the all important leverage ratio. So, are corporate issuers over levered? Do they too ha do they have too much leverage on their their balance sheets? And we would argue no. Uh, so, if we look at things like net leverage, which is just total debt minus that amount of cash that they have on on their hands, and that's important because you know that cash can be used to pay off debt immediately. So that's why we look at net leverage. But if you look at net leverage for investment grade companies, which is the green line, and then you look at net leverage for high yield companies, which is the purple line, leverage ratios are still pretty good and and still at or below historical averages. So despite the fact that there was a lot of issuance over the last couple of years, leverage ratios are still pretty decent and, and still pretty decent shape in aggregate. So we don't think these companies are over levered and, and with the profitability metrics that they have on hand and the cash that they have on balance sheets, credit conditions remain pretty favorable for, for both the high yield and the high grade uh, companies. Now, we don't wanna be overly Pollyannish here as, as well, we do understand that there are risks to uh, corporate credit markets, particularly if uh, we do, or if the economy does enter into a, a, an economic slowdown or or even a contraction. Um, but downgrades have started to pick up, both on the high grade side and the, and the high yield side. And this is natural. This is what we see every time the, the economy starts to slow down. We do see downgrades picking up and 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 default activity picking up, but. Uh, it's not out of the norm, and right now these ratios are still skewing positive uh, in, in terms of, of the amount of upgrades relative to downgrades, uh, particularly for the for the high-grade companies. But um, we do expect a slight deterioration in these metrics if the economy does go into a, a, a recession and or contraction. Um, but you know, right now, given the starting point that we're seeing for, for corporate balance sheets, corporate income statements, there's a lot of you know, positive uh, metrics that that suggest to us that the, the credit conditions are pretty favorable still. And one of the reasons why they're favorable, LG, is is that um, they 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 put in a lot of work uh, during the you know the post COVID drop in interest rates, and that, that's set set the stage for 
what has been relatively strong balance sheets across the board. That's absolutely right. I mean, you have to give kudos to corporate CFOs in aggregate because, again, these uh, corporate issuance was elevated in in 2019 and in, in 2020, 2021, um, and in an effort to term out debt, which means that, you know these companies issued a lot of debt at very low interest rates at longer maturities, so they don't have to access capital markets in the near term, and that's really that's been a sticking point or, or even a tripping point for a lot of these companies in terms of downgrades and defaults. Say a high yield company has to, to roll over some existing debt. They can't get access to the capital markets. So uh, that, that they end up defaulting on that debt. But what, what's happened over the last couple of years, again, these, these corporate CFOs have really termed out debt. Less than 10% of uh, corporate debt outstanding needs to be rolled over over the next three years. And less than 6% of high yield debt needs to be rolled over over the next three years as well. So the you know the companies and, and these uh, you know corporate CFOs have done a good job, and and they don't really have to access the capital markets anytime soon, uh, which would you know allow them you know at least a two to three year runway uh, before we start to see some some debt coming due that they have to to pay off. So so if I'm a, the average investor and I'm I'm taking a look at you know my fixed income portfolio and given the rise in rates and given what's in front of us in terms of perhaps a mo- some semblance of a modest recession. Um, how, how should I think about my fixed income, you know, it, it exposure, especially if I'm um, an income oriented investor? Yep. So we have seen yields across most sectors move higher uh, over the course of this year. It's been a, a painful year for fixed income investors, but now that yields are are higher and, and above levels that last seen since you know, before the, the global financial crisis. The income opportunities within fixed income have, have improved greatly, we, we think. Uh, and within the kind of core bond universe, which is is the, the investment grade rated companies or, or issuers within the fixed income universe, those are your treasury securities, your agency mortgage-backed securities, your investment grade corporate securities. The investment grade landscape, that only makes up about 25% of the index. So most of that of, of the core bond index, for example, is, is going to be AAA rated treasuries or, or AAA rated agency mortgages. But given what we're seeing on the on the, the fundamental side for investment grade corporates, you know, they are riskier than treasuries, of course, but we don't expect them to be the, the type of of uh, you know of, of catalyst for broad-based sell-offs in the in the core fixed income markets, given the the health and and the financial strength and, and flexibility for these companies that we're seeing currently. So, uh, we do think that there are a lot of good income opportunities, whether you're investing in treasury securities or investment-grade corporate securities or even agency mortgages. Uh, you can, frankly, build out a a, a nice income-oriented portfolio that's yielding six to eight percent without taking on a lot of risk and. We certainly couldn't have say, said that, you know, a, a year and two years ago. Yeah, and and the and the yield levels or the carry that's now available in fixed income really can can offset actually rather dramatically any kind of further increase in interest rates. I mean, so uh, I think maybe you know most people don't quite get that at this point. I mean, it, it's going to take um, uh, an interest rate move higher of perhaps over 100 basis points to really show in aggregate some 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 negative returns perhaps in 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 the bond market. So so talk about the risk reward a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We certainly think the risk reward is is more heavily weighted towards the positive returns now than what we've seen historically. Starting yields are a, a good kind of starting point to 
for expected returns and and they provide that that kind of hurdle that that in a rising rate environment you need to more than offset that those starting yields to generate negative returns uh, so to your point, we would need to see interest rates move another 100, 125 basis points higher just to offset what we're seeing currently in starting yields. And that's, I mean, we've seen some some bears in the in the, the treasury market. I haven't seen that, you know, that those bears call for another 125 basis point move higher in, in, in treasury yields. So we do think the risk reward is 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 uh is slanted towards positive returns over the next 12 to 16 months, just given where we are with starting yields and the fact that any sort of pullback in, in treasury yields, the potential for price appreciation has, has frankly has increased as well. So, I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen the possibility of a, of a, you know, a low double digit return out of core fixed income. But, you know, if, if yields drop by a percent, it's, that's possible over the next 12 months. No guarantees, of course. Yeah, and 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 that's something that we want to make uh, sure that we're kind of getting across to investors. I mean, we we've had a difficult time in fixed income, no question. Um, but those starting yields that you mentioned, are, you know, certainly provide some semblance of a of a potential ballast against for, forward returns or certainly forward uh, interest rate volatility. So so we think bonds are actually a a very very good place to be, and and we're going to guess that over the next twelve months, um, there'll likely be a little bit more of a ballast versus that equity um, volatility that we've we've typically seen. So we're in a we're in a better place in fixed income at this point. And and if you're an income oriented investor that's been agonizing over where to get income over the last ten or fifteen years, well. Um, we think the bond market is really your answer at this point in time. So um, stocking away some of those income producing vehicles in the bond market um, will likely pay some dividends for years to come in, in, in our view. So Lawrence, a, a great setup, a, a great view on credit conditions. Um, I appreciate you kind of joining me today and, and thank this audience for, for, uh, for joining us. Um, talking a little bit about the Fed, a little bit about credit conditions. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving, uh, and we'll see you back on the Market Signals podcast next week. Take care. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer 
Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.